Hello, welcome to Blades Pod. It is Wednesday, the 21st of November. Uh, it's been a little while. We wanted to do one of these um, a bit sooner than this, but many things have, have uh, unfortunately got in the way. But I'm pleased to say all those things are now out of the way, including my voice returning because it disappeared for a few days. So that's good. Hopefully I won't croak my way through this too much. So joining me on the line to talk about Sheffield Wednesday, obviously Sheffield United, some of the nerdy things as well that we've got planned, and some listener question and answers as well. Joining me on the line, it's Jay, Blades Analytic. How are you doing, mate? Hello, hello everyone. Yeah, good. Um, just, just, do you know what? International breaks aren't that bad anymore, are they? They're not good, but they're not that bad because England are all right. So we, we seem to get through them all right these days. They used to be absolute torture. Yeah, I've come round to the idea of the Nations League. I was quite sceptical about it, but I have to say I've, uh, I've, I've enjoyed um, watching in- internationals with some kind of you know, jeopardy and meaning to them. And yeah, that was... Uh... That was a reasonable way to pass uh, pass the weekend watching that one, I suppose. So, yeah, better than they used to be, I guess. Um, yeah. it, it's actually, you know, it's ages since uh, the Sheffield Derby, unfortunately. So people probably, like, don't want to talk about it anymore. But we're going to talk about it anyway, and hopefully people will still want to keep listening and find it interesting. But before we get there, hey, congratulations on your debut on StatsBomb.com. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Um yeah, thank you everyone who's ever shared a tweet or liked a tweet because I, I guess I would never have had a chance to do after stuff I've done if people weren't sharing it. Um, so cool. Blades always back their own, don't they? One of the best at that. So you guys have elevated me to that kind of role where I get to write stuff now. And yeah, for cool companies. Um, really cool. They've got really cool database, lots of good stats in there. United show really well in lots of them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um and to be honest, it was really poorly timed because uh, they, they released the article on Derby night when I was absolutely out of my tree. Um, <laughs> so I, I had to message the guy back and was like, I, I will push this as much as possible tomorrow. But unfortunately, tonight is not the night. Just the gar- um, garbled tweets abusing Wednesday players. Um, pretty, pretty much, yeah. But no, thank you very much. And I'm, I'm, I've got to say, if we're returning the love in here, well done on Football Heaven. Oh, I thank you. you. You know. I listen live. I don't normally listen live to football heaven. I'm I'm not the greatest fan of it. I will I will listen back um, sometimes for for the better episodes. But I thought, to be fair, actually, to the Wednesday guys, well, I thought you guys really made it a good episode. Actually, probably one of the best ones. Thank you. That's, yeah, somebody rang in and said that. I was very touched, and it, it wasn't my dad either. Uh, so that's, that was always nice. Yeah. Um, I'll- I was waiting for Sean, Sean from Dromfield to phone in and say, "Oh, it's the best episode ever." But yeah, you, you've just made his—you've uh, made his week by name dropping him there. I think, but <laughs> no, it was great. Sure, you know, really nice to meet uh, Mike McCarthy and um, to Adam Oxley as well at Radio Sheffield, and yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it, as you say. The uh, the guys from the um, the Wednesday podcast, uh, nice bunch of people. I, I was saying to them beforehand, actually, I've, I've sort of kind of subconsciously weeded all Wednesday fans out of my life. So I don't actually know any anymore. I only know United fans <laughs> and fans of other teams. So it was actually interesting hearing a uh, a, a rational point of view from, from Wednesday fans. And yeah, they, they're probably much happier with the result than uh, than we were, I guess. But um, hey, at least we didn't lose. That was, that was the main fear. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's get into the Wednesday game then, because obviously we've got quite a bit to uh, to tick off today. I mean... I guess a, a frustrating night overall. I mean, I think I left the ground thinking like, well, kind of as I just said, really, at least we didn't lose. I suppose that's always your um, your priority in a derby match. And that was that was certainly Wednesday's priority uh, on that Friday night as we'll, we'll come on to. I mean, to be honest, I, I would say this was a better game than the, uh, the, the previous one, the other 0-0 back in uh, January, February. 
But at the same time, it was quite a similar sort of pattern, I thought, in terms of not too much actually happened. Uh, it, it's very easy to say this, but obviously if we scored the penalty, then it's a completely different game. Once they have to come out, we'd probably win comfortably. But as it is, yeah, not not too many good chances created by either side. Um yeah, Wednesday had that sort of one opportunity from a set piece. I think it was Fox kind of uh, couldn't control it at the back post. And then, yeah, I guess most of our other chances, we had a couple of opportunities from corners. There was one where um, Sharp headed wide in the second half and then really sort of long-range shots, I think, that um, the keeper Dawson dealt with relatively easily. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a... I thought it was a good but not great performance was my kind of overall. It wasn't like, oh, we were terrible and, you know, what? A, it, I guess it was a missed opportunity to to punish a a truly poor Wednesday side. I think we should pay some lip service to that as well at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just uh, frustrating but uh, not as n- not gutting, I guess, is my overall feelings from it. How about yourself? Yeah, it's probably good we've done this with a bit of a break in a way yeah if you'd have asked me the question you know the week after i would have still held quite large frustration mm. um you know i, I don't what so there's a couple of facts that that i instantly had taken away and this is as a as a as a, as a fan who was as passionate as any and who was as pissed as any probably um <laughs> and, and still the facts were a wednesday were embarrassingly poor mm. defended brilliant defended brilliantly i have to say you know, Michael Hector was brilliant for them on the night. Absolute colossus, headed and kicked everything that moved in the box. But as a team of playing football, they were embarrassingly poor. Which and we had said beforehand that you, they were bad. Yeah, at we football. did, we did. To be fair to us, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, and that's fact. It just is fact. That is what it is. Um, but also, have to say, I thought we were very good in every area of the pitch, apart from the final ball. Mm. And, and and that hit me on the night as well. I was talking to other guys around me in the stand and, uh, you know, even fans who, who aren't bothered about an analytical stance, they were all saying the same thing. Some of the best football we've played in that first half, especially. Yeah. It was just that final pass that was lacking, um, which has been said before, and it'll probably be said again in future because we pin teams back that much that sometimes we just can't break them down. It, the second half was probably the, where the, the more frustration and anger came from for me. We didn't have a shot between the 60th and 85th minute. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the things, you know, I saw when I came out of the game. I was like, wow, you know, that actually made sense. We ran out of ideas. We did run out of ideas. Wednesday did do that. I don't buy this whole day out tactics us thing because the game of football is to score a goal. And if you don't come score a goal, you can't out tactic someone. But <laughs> I, I do get the fact that chucking that many men behind the ball in a decent defensive shape did work for them. Yeah. You know, they, they felt that they, I think it was a nil-nil win, and I'm not taking the the Mickey. It was a nil-nil win for them because it's what they came for, and they got it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you, you know, you, you have to say congrats. Really, that was the the scope of their ambition, and uh, yeah, they managed to to get what they were after. I mean, unlike the the previous derby, they had no attacking ambition whatsoever. I mean, no. I, I know I've not looked into this in detail actually, but I know you mentioned Hector there as a good player, but I thought he was. On the ball, I thought it was absolutely appalling. Yeah. Like defensively, yeah. great, but the amount of times he just like, you know, he wasn't even whacking it into touch. He was trying to pass it to someone, and it just went sailing out of play. But yeah, I'm just looking now. I mean, you don't get any points for uh, pass completion or anything like that. But Wednesday completed 136 passes in 90 minutes. 
that's unbelievable. It's like you know, one every forty-five seconds or something. And we had, um, you know, quick maths. We had more than four times that many. Yeah, you don't get anything for that. And obviously, you know, the the other stat on there is one big chance each, the penalty for us, and the um, the fox chance I mentioned earlier. But but yeah, I guess that's pretty damning. That uh, sixty to eighty minutes, no shot stat, and I guess that's the point where you. You know, you want somebody to either come up with a bit of magic or, you know, United to try and change something tactically. I mean, I guess we did try that slightly with um, Clark came on for McGoldrick. And I'm not actually sure how many touches Clark had, but he definitely was a menace. He won, like, I think he won a couple of free kicks in dangerous places for us. And, you know, Wednesday were just trying to remove his clothing, basically, rather than actually trying to defend him. So I guess we did try that, but you could say, well, maybe that was a little bit too late in the day. Um he obviously came on for David McGoldrick, and I, I want to talk about McGoldrick specifically. Um, what did you think to his penalty? Because this seems to be this seems to go in different directions, as it were. So, give me your take on uh, hit, hit the penalty, the quality of his penalty. Yes, I, I, I'm a bit weird on penalties. I don't, I don't think it was a great penalty. I don't think it was a bad one. It's one of those where if, if it goes in, you know, the keeper's gone the other way. Everyone says it's a great penalty great calmness and, and that's why he took it first thing I don't have a problem with McGoldrick taking the penalty mm. um, Billy, Billy Sharp is our top goal scorer he's an absolute predator he doesn't have the best penalty record that I can remember off, off the top of my head mm. um, you know and we've seen that this year he's already missed a couple McGoldrick is probably the more cool and calm of the two I, I, I don't know I don't have the stats in front of me to check that but I, I don't have a problem with him taking it um, he hit it well it was a bit close to the keeper I give all the credit to a keeper on a penalty save, you know, it, it, because if you go the wrong way, any penalty looks good and the keeper got there and it was a very strong hand and a good turn around the post. So I've got to give the credit to the keeper. I will say one thing about McGoldrick, his performance after that, where people could have shrunk in a game of that magnitude was fantastic. Yeah. He, he was absolutely. one of the best players on the pitch and, and the attitude that he showed, the work rate, the pressing, the touch and the skill, he did not shrink away. He didn't shirk his responsibilities, and no blade should forget that. That penalty miss should be gone because what McGoldrick provided in that game was some sheer class moments. Yeah, I, I have to say, like with every passing game, as it were, that I see him play, it's just like I, I love watching him play. He's so good yeah. at football. Like it's you know he, he is like Duffy. Like when he gets the ball, you just think like something something cool is going to happen here. He's going to dribble away from someone, or you know just play an inch perfect pass, or yeah, just. He's, he's just a really, really good player. Um, a fantastic signing, really. I mean, I guess you could say we've been a little bit fortunate so far with his injury record. He's obviously not not had to miss many games, but um, yeah, definitely. I was really, really impressed that he, you know, kept his head up, if you like, and yeah, continued to be really involved. I'm just looking at his penalty record now, actually, because I was I was thinking about this earlier, and it's it's okay. I mean, I, I well, I don't know. I don't have anything to compare it to apart from Billy Sharps, which I've also pulled up. So he scored. In his career, and we're going back 10 seasons here, he has scored 13 out of 19. So that doesn't mm-hmm. seem incredibly good, I don't think. Um, that's in all competitions. But, yeah, I mean, I, I guess he was the, the man in possession, if you like. We obviously scored, he scored three for us this season, and all three of us have looked uh, you know, pretty solid up to that, that one, I guess. Sharp, by contrast. Sharp's actually slightly better than, um, than I thought. Sharp has scored... Uh, 27 out of 35. So he's actually only missed eight in his career, according to this, which is uh, transfer marked, which seems pretty good. 
Okay, yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, okay. So, yeah. so McGoldrick, McGoldrick's hitting about 68%. Yeah, which is actually below average, isn't it? Uh, you would say so. My XG model has penalties at 76%. Yeah. I don't want to get too nerdy about this, but yeah, so that's <laughs> slightly below average. What was Sharp's record? Uh, 30, 27 out of 35. I can't believe we're doing this, but do you know what? It's worth <laughs> Live it. Live maths is, recorded. This was, this was literally the main topic of conversation, wasn't it, after the game? Why didn't Sharp take that penalty? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the short answer is because McGoldrick had scored the last three after Sharp has missed one, I think. I, I, do you know what? I, I, it's just genuinely Chris Wilder, what you've probably seen in training every day. McGoldrick's the penalty taker. But yeah, Sharp's hitting 77%, which is bang on what I have for penalties. So yeah. there you go. Billy Sharp has a better penalty record, everyone. We're all wrong. Chris Wilder's wrong. The fan on the back of the coffee's right. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, uh, it's pretty small margins there, isn't it? What is that? Like one extra successful penalty out of every... Well, pretty much seven or eight attempts or something like that but um, yeah just wish it had been that one but anyway yeah I thought McGoldrick had a really good game outside of that personally I thought it was you know fairly good penalty a really good save you know it's along the ground yeah. it's, it's it's not in the corner but it's close to the corner so I was okay with it it wasn't like he you know just hit one straight down the middle or anything um, a, a slightly so, so I didn't see this live but I know that you talked about it afterwards on Twitter and a little bit to me as well but you talked to me about Kieran Freeman and his, his positioning was something you uh, you mentioned as like a, a bit of a critique. And I guess, you know, last time we spoke, Freeman's, Freeman's had a little bit of criticism in the last few games. You know, we, we spoke about how, you know, a couple of goals have come from his, his side of the pitch. And, you know, a few people have said, oh, he looks a little bit tired, that kind of thing. But And I, I didn't really subscribe to that myself. And, you know, I'd I had a fair amount of beer, it's fair to say. Um, before the Wednesday game, so I didn't see this live. But yeah, some of you picked up on, so I'm, I'm keen to get your take on this. Yeah, so first things first, it's, I, I'm not a fan of looks for this. I'm the one shut up, sh- um, you know, shouting and singing normally. But it was that weird of a derby game. It didn't feel like a derby game 30 minutes in because it was just the pattern was set. We had all the ball. There wasn't mm. much dramatic things happening. It was just trying to pick away for it. I started noticing certain things. So I started actually looking at how we were set up. And it was just... There was a really weird pattern with Kieran Freeman's positioning. Mm. He was really tucked in. So I understand that, that Freeman especially, more than probably most other wing-backs in the league or full-backs in the league, can join up in the box and attack well. It's what he did in the league one season. It's how he got all those goals, and he's very good at popping up in the box. Mm. I have no issue with that. However, when we had the ball and it goes into Norwood and, and we're looking left or right, he was really tucked in. Now, I don't know if this was tactical. I don't know if it was a personal decision. I don't know who's been told by the players to, to go in there. But it just it, it didn't open anything up down the mm. right-hand side, which is why we predominantly went left-hand side heavy. Mm, I've really noticed that. Bash, yeah, I mean, that was that was the main notice thing, wasn't it? But Bash, as good as he is, he's only good if he has space to run into. Yeah. Because one thing that I think all Blades fans know with Chris Basham is he really doesn't cross a ball very well. Mm. That, he, he, he can do the odd one, but consistently you aren't going to get a good cross out of Chris Basham. What he's good at He's driving with the ball into the box for a little cutback or a layoff or a driving the ball across the box. He isn't going to whip in a good ball from the byline. So when Freeman tucks in, it forces Bash to have to go round the outside of him. Mm. And that means that he's on the byline. Now I've got, I haven't put them out on Twitter because I just simply haven't had time. But I've got three different video examples where Freeman comes, tucks in, Bash is isolated out wide. It goes to whip the ball in and it completely overhits the cross or it goes out of play. I can remember just, a few, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure all fans can because I know they were talking about them, but we can't say that Kieran Freeman's positioning caused Chris Basham's cross poorly. That's a Chris Basham, one of the only little things of improvement he probably needs to work on over you know the rest of the season. But 
it was really weird because the one thing that you need to do with a defense that sits that deep is stretch the pitch. Mm. You know, we, we need, I agree we needed people in the box because we were crossing a lot and we needed targets to hit, but we also needed to stretch their defense. And if they don't come out and meet us, then we can have Freeman and Bash move together as a unit towards their fullback and try and work those little in-behind-the-fullback moves we like where we can then cut the ball back to a, an on-rushing striker or midfielder. It's just, it was very bizarre. And it, I think it showed in Freeman's performance because he didn't contribute really anything. I no, think there, there, no, I mean, there was nothing wrong with what he did on the ball, but there wasn't that, that Kieran Freeman threat that we spoke about early on wasn't there. And I, I'm not accepting this as a tiredness thing whatsoever. It could be in other games, but that game it wasn't because, quite frankly, a lot of our players didn't have to run half as much as they normally do. No, exactly. You, you know, when you're camped in the opposition half, you just, you're there. You, you're not sprinting up and down. So it was just, it was bizarre. And it was one of the things that wasn't great on the night. Um, you know, there's other little intricacies like Mark Duffy's positioning, which was just the man's a genius. It's, there was a two it's minute, so good to uh, watch again, isn't it? Yeah, there was a two minute spell where basically they, after the penalty, they they literally decided that Joey Pelopussy was going to man mark Mark Duffy, <laughs> which I mean is a no contest in its own right. But basically, Duffy watched him mark him for two minutes, dragged him around to the left, to the right. Then I saw him physically say to McGoldrick, "Swap." Duffy went into a centre forward role next to Sharp, and McGoldrick dropped in the ten. And the Wednesday back four, I had no idea how to pick him up. Mm. And that all came from Mark Duffy, just his intelligence. Right, they're marking me, so I'm going to go and stand up front now and do nothing. McGoldrick, you drop off and go and play. Yeah. And that's that move where we end up working the ball to Wendy Stevens, where McGoldrick does a little flick around the back. Oh, that's yeah. where that stems from. It, it, you know, I cannot, I don't want to go on anymore because we didn't win the game. So it's almost <laughs> like, how much positives do you want to say? But the intelligence of some of our players, Mark Duffy being the main one, he's outstanding. But when you contrast that with what happened with Freeman it was just a bit bizarre it, it looked like it must have been tactical because of how much he was doing it mm. and if it was I I don't often question Wilder in fact I never will because he knows more than me and he's better than I ever will be but you do have to question what that effect was supposed to have yeah that makes sense but this is a good point to segue actually into a new feature that I'm introducing starting this week and I think we can, <laughs> hopefully we can do this on uh, all, all of them going forward. But I'm going to call it Don't Trust the Process. And I'll give you the brief summary of, of how this will work. So basically, knowing what we know now about the game, how it panned out, so with, with the benefit of hindsight, what one thing would you change about, about the game? It has to be something a manager can directly affect. So it's not a case of saying, you know, McGoldrick just scored the penalty or Norwood just smash one into the top corner, please. So something that... Uh, we'd have changed uh, tactically in the lineup, the subs, the approach, that kind of thing. You know, a few examples here, but kind of keen to hear any other thoughts as well. So, for example, if you could go back in time now, would you say let someone else take the penalty? Would you have thrown Marvin Johnson or uh, Ben Woodburn on to try and see if that kind of change of style would unsettle Wednesday? Anything like that? Or are we just happy with the... Uh, the approach overall to the game and think we'd have won more times than uh, than not. And and in that case, we would trust the process. But yeah, I'm, I'm keen to to see like how we'd sort of, uh, you know, if we could travel back in time, knowing what happened, what would we change? What do you reckon? I love this. This is brilliant. This is one of your <laughs> best ideas. Well, yeah, because uh, it's basically saying like, you know, it's conceding that obviously we don't know as much as uh, Wilder and professional managers and coaches, but like, if we had a time machine, what would we do differently? Yeah, no, I, it's, it's a great idea. Um, and it's, it's basically, it's what a fan does, doesn't it? We yeah. say what we should have done differently. So, so I, I'm going to take the game in two different 
parts, basically. I know it is two different parts, but I, the first half, trust the process, wouldn't have changed the thing. Mm. I, I, said, I was saying that to every fan around me at half-time. If we do the same again, we're going to score. Yeah, it, it, it was coming. There was last-ditch blocks, and it wasn't from good positioning. It was literally them getting there in the nick of time, just. you know. And we were breaking them down at will, playing through them at will. So would I have changed the penalty taker? As much as I was comfortable with McGoldrick taking it over Sharp, because I, I love McGoldrick's technique, in a Sheffield derby, I probably would have had Billy Sharp take a penalty. Mm. That's you know, And that's no stats or anything about it. I just think in a Sheffield derby, Billy Sharp... You could say I could play against him. He's that desperate to score. He might be anxious, but I just think he'd love to stick one to him. So, I, you know, I might have shot on Penos. The big thing for me in the second half was the subs. Yeah, okay. So, Leon Clark came on and provided a physical presence. It won us a couple of free kicks in dangerous areas. And admittedly, because the Wednesday defenders were probably knackered at that point and lost focus, they couldn't deal with him. Mm. Would I have took off McGoldrick? No. But would I have kept on sharp? Yes, I think I would have thrown all three on. Yeah, do you know that did disappoint me seeing McGoldrick go off? I can only imagine yeah. he was tired. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't see that watching myself. But yeah, that no. was that was disappointing. I would have kept all three on because yeah. in the last five minutes, Wednesday grew and had a couple of shots from around about the box. Nothing inside, nothing dangerous, but they did grow slightly when they bought Marco Matias on. Um, you know, but there wasn't any threat coming, was there? No, I mean, that, I'm like, pretty sure that was largely from us giving the ball away on yeah. halfway or something like that. And then they just had a yeah. pot shot from 30 yards. It, it wasn't like we needed to worry about them playing for our <laughs> midfield. And no. our passing midfielders at that point, I don't know, it's hard because we do have a, a, such a peculiar system, but were they contributing that much towards that, 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 that 60 to 85th minute period where we didn't have a shot? What was going on in the game? We were just knocking the ball about. You know, mm. so let, I think next, just throw on all three up top. It's old school. It's almost Neil Warlock type still. I can't believe I'm saying that. But, you know, Clark is the physical presence, sharp as a predator. McGoldrick, just go and play wherever you want, basically. Mm. You know, go, go and pick up the ball in areas and go and make Wednesday defenders make decisions. The other thing as well was, as much as Ender Stevens, I thought, played very well, especially in the first half, I would have thrown on Marvin Johnson. Yeah, you, you, you've uh, nicked my answer there, but that is, that is what yeah. I'm going with as well. Or Essentially... I'm really surprised, and I only realise this now, sort of looking back at it, but we only made one sub. Yeah. Which suggests that, um, you know, Wilder was happy with the game was with how the game was going and felt that, you know, the goal was going to come. But yeah, as you said, we no shots between those 20 minutes, you know, uh, at a late stage in the game. And it seems weird to me that we didn't use those subs. And yeah, you know, we're pretty high on the Ender's performance in the last two, three months of the season so far, I guess. But, yeah, that does feel like you've got Johnson on the bench. You didn't have Woodburn on the bench, by the way. Um, no. But, yeah, that would have been a, a good one to chuck on. I mean, you know, Marvin Johnson's no world beater, but he's somewhat different, isn't he? You know, just to yeah. just just see what happens, basically. Like, I think yeah. certainly watching, watching it in the ground, I felt from about, yeah, from about sort of 65, 70 minutes, I was like this is going to be nil-nil, isn't it? Unless somebody yeah. does something ridiculous, it's just going to be nil-nil again. That's what Wednesday want. That's what they're probably going to and, get. And yeah, and that's the thing. We, we, we don't have the players on the pitch at that time to do something ridiculous, except probably Duffy. Yeah. We, we, we don't. I know Flex, Flex got quality all over and we'll come on to Flex later, but he's not going to, he isn't going to ping one in from 45 yards. He can, but he isn't. Yeah. You know, he just isn't. Duffy's the only one who can probably do something out of the ordinary. Whereas, can Marvin Johnson? We don't know. No, we've not seen it. But what he can do is he's got more pace. He likes to beat a man one on one. Yeah. Um, you know, Stevens is a very technical player. We I mean you love Ender Stevens, but 
by the 65th minute, all we're doing is giving the ball to Ender to cross into a box that's getting headed away. It's yeah. not working. It's just not working. So let's change that up. Let's create a bit of chaos. We might have actually lost control of the game. We wouldn't have lost the game, but we might have lost the control of possession. But maybe creating that bit of chaos causes a problem for Wednesday. If he starts dominating their right wing back because they matched us up and he's getting in space, then you know they have to do something about that, don't they? And Johnson also can play further forward as well than Ender can. He's been a left forward before, so mm. he's got a bit of a strike on him as well. He can get in the area and he can get on the end of stuff. So yeah. that would have been my... That would have been my sub, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, no, we're not saying like, oh, bring on Marvin Johnson and he'll smash one in for 40 yards. He's, no. the, he's the player to do that. It's just like, yeah, just stick him on, tell him to get out wide and say, look, Marvin, we're going to give you the ball eight times. I want you to try and dribble past your man six out exactly. six or eight times. Just, you know, pull their defence about, try and get in the box, you know, fire some crosses in, just just see what happens because the pattern of the game is heading towards a nil-nil. So, yeah, that that would be my one thing in hindsight to go back and change. And I guess some people may feel like they thought that at the time as well. But, yeah, overall, uh, with that game, I mean, we were much the better team. I've had, uh, you know, I have heard from Wednesday fans afterwards saying, like, you know, United's football is so much better than anything we've yeah, been able gosh, to play yes. for a little while. And it, it really is. And you don't get prizes for good football, of course, but... You know, the the results have kind of spoke for themselves for most of the season, so it's not like we're a sort of powder puff team that's just passing the ball around in midfield and not doing anything with it. We're still in the blooming top three or four of the league and one of the highest scorers, etc. It's just, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Wednesday's first clean sheet of the season comes against us, wouldn't you just know it? Um, <laughs> any other players you want to pick out from the game? I mean, I think just quickly, we should probably just talk about John Fleck. Finally, yeah, getting, yeah. finally getting the call up to Scotland, although... In a in a troll move by Scottish international management, he didn't actually get on the pitch last night. So, yeah, still no cap for him. But at least he finally got that yeah, recognition, but, I guess. Yeah, but he's in the squad and they won a game. Yeah, so there you he's go. clearly having. A, I, I don't care about anything. He's clearly having a massive influence. <laughs> no, it's, uh, and it, it came off the back as well of a game where I, right. So I did a, a Fleck Bannon comparison last year because they actually played a little bit more similar positions. Mm. A better comparison this year is Bannon and Norwood. They actually play the same role, but. It was so apt that in the derby, Fleck was probably one of the best players on the pitch. I thought so, he didn't, yeah. He didn't assist, I know, but that first, the first couple of minutes, that shot, great save from their keeper. I have to say, he had a great game. You know, that shot was flying in the top bin. He was brilliant on the ball. He was trying to break lines, and he just dominated the midfield. Uh, you know, Norwood gets the plaudits because everyone's seen that highlight doing the rounds on Twitter of that pass, which is just sublime. <laughs> I saw Gary Lineker yeah. shared that on Instagram, actually. Yeah, just but it is... How he picks that angle, I have no idea from there. But, you know, and that was sublime. But Fleck was the one for me who was, who was probing. And if anyone was going to do anything from midfield, you know, aside from a Duffy, it was going to be Fleck. He was brilliant. And I, I'd not questioned it, but before the derby when we spoke, I'd said I needed a big game, really, from John mm. Fleck. And he did kind of give one, to be honest. He did everything but lay on an assist or a goal. So I just yeah. hope he comes back with a bit more renewed confidence that he's in and around that setup now for Scotland and uh, you know he can really push on and give us the second half of last season's type form which was just outstanding yeah which I, I think that that performance against Wednesday certainly in the first half was pretty much in line with that I mean yeah I'm just looking yeah. now he had, he had three shots uh, 66 passes at 93% completion rate his attacking third passes 36 out of 39 inside the box 4 out of 4 created two chances uh, had seven ball recoveries just a, a really, really good performance from him. So, yeah, fully deserving that call-up and hopefully is, is in the squad for uh, a little while yet. Um, 
All right, I, I want to get. Let's get uh, super nerdy now. If you think calculating Billy Sharp's penalty uh, <laughs> penalty percentage is not nerdy enough, I want to talk about crossing. So love it. And I know we've both done quite a bit of uh, research into this, so apologies if the numbers are boring to anyone, but we're going for it anyway. Now, do we cross too much? Now, I've seen this. The Whenever I look at the stats of the last few games, we cross a lot. And on Friday, we crossed 31 times to Wednesday's eight. That seems like quite a lot. That's one every three minutes. Um you know, when I we we attempt, I looked this up on uh, who scored. So we attempt the second highest number of crosses in the championship, which I don't know if that's surprising or not. Like, given our style, you know, we yeah. try and get the wing backs involved. I mean, obviously, crosses are including like you know pullbacks from the byline and that kind of thing. So mm. yeah, we're we're fifth for accurate crosses per game. So that's that's a you know a cross that finds a United player. Um, although our actual sort of cross success rate, so. The percentage of our crosses which are accurate is kind of middling. It's uh, it ranks tenth in the league. Yeah. yeah. Um, now there doesn't seem to be any like correlation that I could see between uh, league position and how good you are at crossing. So, for example, uh, I think Brentford are the most accurate crossing team. Uh, sorry, Brentford uh, are the least accurate crossing team. Derby are twenty first, Norwich are seventeenth, Leeds are fifteenth. So, you know, nothing really there, but. Yeah, we I, and I saw this being sort of debated on Twitter as well. I read some really good articles about it this week. But yeah, across, a it's actually a weird thing in a way, isn't it? Because it's like, it seems like, I mean, so I just mentioned there, our, our success rate at, at crossing is 23%. So that means three out of every four crosses, we give the ball to the opposition, we lose possession. But it is obviously a good way of creating chances. Do yeah. we cross too much? What's your thoughts? Yes. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> so, just a really bad answer. Um, yeah, we do. Uh, and we did last year as well. So this is not new. Um, I've, I've been tracking this for 18 months now because I am that weird and nerdy. Um, and I am writing quite a lot on crossing, not just for Sheffield United, but within the whole EFL. But it's got a big United focus on it. Because mm. last year, we were the second highest crossing team behind Aston Villa as well. Mm. Um, so this is not new. Um, the difference this year has been probably more of the pullback type crosses. Now, your people who collect the statistics, so who scored, get theirs from Opta, so it's probably right. Um, but basically, you could label a cross as a cutback, or sometimes it can be labelled as a key pass. That's a bit nerdy, but basically just giving a bit of context to what a cross is. Um, this year, we've played probably more pullbacks than crosses, which is why we've probably didn't have more success. And against Wednesday, we didn't have that option due to their kind of low block, narrow defence. Mm. So all the space was out wide and it meant that we ended up whipping the ball into the box. Fair enough. Um, so the, the basic cross stats you went through there are, are, are spot on. Um, and it, it kind of gives the impression of, as you say, we, we have a lot of whips, we play with a lot of whips, we put a lot of crosses into the box. Accuracy is a very... Um, yeah, again, getting nerdy, I'm very uneasy on accuracy because all that means is it found a Sheffield United shirt yeah, um, which could then have just go. deflected straight to a defender exactly. and uh, cleared it, etc. Yeah, you're gonna. I don't. I'm not gonna steal your thunder. You're gonna because it's good work you've done, and I saw you've been talking to Stuart Reed as well, who I worked with before on a couple of pieces he did. Um, no, so right. I know you're gonna get, you're gonna get onto set pieces, um, and we're gonna talk about accuracy there as well. Which is we find Sheffield United shirts, but on crossing, do we find Sheffield United shirts, and does it actually mean anything? Mm. So we've generated 5.7 xg from open play crosses, right? That's out of 25.9 open play XG. So I'm just quoting decimal numbers here. This, no one's going to remember these. Let's put a bit of context to it. 
22% of our whole open play XG comes from crosses. Okay. I would say that's quite average, if not high. Mm. So I don't have the full league table in front of me, but I looked at another over a couple of teams from this. Um, it's higher than, for example, Norwich at the top. It's higher than... Um, who else was higher than? It was higher than Bristol City. These are the teams I was just clicking on and looking at. It's higher than Leeds. It's lower, for example, than Aston Villa. So it does depend on the team style. It came out around about somewhere in the top eight. Mm. So actually, is our crossing worthwhile? Yeah. We, you know, we're creating good chances from it. Um, we've created the joint seventh most chances in the league from open play crosses. Mm. So again, that top eight. So is, is, do we cross too much? I think yes. I think there is times where we do not need to cross. However, I think that's a separate argument because I think sometimes we cross when the options have been exhausted. Mm. And that was sort of against Wednesday. When all the play around the box had not quite worked, we got it out wide. We played and played and played. The fans were getting not frustrated, but were getting kind of antsy to get it in the box. And we just end up whipping across in as a last ditch thing. That That's when we're not effective. Mm. We're effective when we have worked the ball specifically to the out wide area and we're not on the touchline, but the wing backs or centre backs have got space to drive into and whip a ball in. Think Blackburn away. Perfectly mm. good cross. Stevens had space, drove into it, whipped a ball in, sharp on the back post. That is how you set up a crossing opportunity. Against Wednesday, it was all because everyone was in the box and there was no other option. So I think it's contextual and I think mm. it's hard to kind of define analytically, but we are good at setting up chances from crossing. We cross a lot, probably too much. It's more about the situation where we cross from. And against Wednesday, it was poor situations. That, that's yeah. the best way to summarise that. I guess there's some uh, game state effect here as well, aren't they? Obviously, yeah. we, you know, we've been very successful so far this season. So, you know, we have come up against teams who've played quite defensively against us, obviously, Wednesday, uh, Hull as well, off the top of my head, I guess. And, you know, so that kind of, you know, kind of clogged the middle and, and meant that we have had to try and cross the ball more, I suppose. So, yeah, there is definitely some... Uh, some other yeah. factors there, I suppose. Um, I mean, you mentioned set pieces there as well. So, yeah, this is something I think it's Peter Nelson asked us about on Twitter the other week as well. Yeah. So I did have a look into this as well So and, and dug up some stats that I wasn't totally aware of. So, yeah, we are number one in the league for accurate corners per game. So, again, mm -hmm. corner that finds a United player. Um, that's largely a product of winning so many. I, th I think we are the... We win the most amount of corners in the league this season. I know we were second to Brentford last season. Um, yeah. And yeah, we're, we're third in the sort of percentage of corners that finds a United player. So we're very good at winning corners and very good at uh, finding our players from them. But our actual conversion rate of, of goals from those corners is below average. So uh, we this is from Stuart Reid, who you just mentioned, who's uh, from the wing on Twitter, who I think is a... Uh, I should have check this beforehand but i think he is a like a set pieces consultant coach type person um he, yeah he's done he's, he's he's trying to get in the program he's done club work he's a very very good person follow nice. him on twitter from the wings he's a he's a really good guy he talks good sense about football in general but his set piece stuff is some of the best out there yeah absolutely well he, he chimed in with this uh this nugget that i wasn't aware of so united are uh 17th in the league in terms of uh percentage of goals from our corners, or sorry, percentage of corners that lead to goals, 1.47%. Yeah. So essentially, you know, about uh, not much more than one in 100 of our corners will lead to a goal. The league average is not hugely higher than that. It's 2.7, so call it three in 100 leads to a goal. 
Um, but yeah, we're, we're 17th in goals from corners, which is not very good. Uh, we are very good at getting shots from set pieces. We're just not good at finishing them. So let me just quickly pull this up because I was looking at this as well. So this is so this is again from who scored and it it combines um, set pieces overall. So it's not just corners. Um, and yeah, we are we average a shot from every four point two set pieces, which is eighth best in the league. Um, so yeah, we're very good at getting set pieces. We're good at having shots from them. So we're, we're pretty accurate. And we create shots from them, but we don't actually score that many from them. Is that just bad luck, small sample size, or is it poor finishing, or both, or or what? What's your thinking? Yeah, so it's it. it okay, so it's, it's a really hard one again to contextualise, but it's two things for me. Poor finishing is definitely a thing. Hmm. Um, so against Wednesday, you saw Sharp's header in the last five minutes. Um, might not have, if anyone can't recall it from the corner. It was a big chance. It was a high XG rated chance for a header from a corner. Mm. You know, it's never going to be massive, but it was quite high. He's seven yards out, you know, centre of the goal. We've seen recently O'Connell against Wigan, missing from about three yards out. Um, Egan's very good at winning the ball, but directing it towards the goal, he looked really good at earlier on, but at the minute he's just kind of getting his head to it and it's spooning off and going play. Basically, we're very good at winning the ball, but in terms of attacking it, we're not. That comes from timing or it comes from the runs they're making, which is obviously where Stuart makes his money because I guess what it comes down to is are we focusing enough on the 1% in terms of set-piece kind of movement, delivery and, and routines considering how many we get. Mm. Um, I, I had this argument last year with a lot of fans and it, it wasn't me saying anyone's wrong, but so corners alone, everyone focuses on corners because we never, the old Chef United thing of we never score from corners. Um like you said, then percentages there. Yeah, so we are quite low, but what is the actual difference? It's probably about three, two goals at this point. Yeah. Admittedly, if one of them is the derby, we win 1 0, everyone's ecstatic, but we're not behind the curve here by a massive amount. No. It, it, it's just more the fact that overall, because we get so many, could we do more? Yeah. And I, I think that's where the thing comes from. In this modern day age of analysts for absolutely everything, and at championship clubs, they do have resources to do this kind of thing. Could we do more on set pieces like we did in Wilder and Neil's kind of first year where we become more accomplished at creating opportunities from them? We are create, creating decent XG from corners as well. So the delivery's there. Norwood generally puts in a good ball. We often get on the end of it. So there is going to be an element of luck in that. There's also going to be an element of timing. I do think we're better than last season from mm. what I've seen for the, just from the eye test. I do think there's more work that could be done. That, that's the best way I can answer that. We, we could be better at corners and set pieces, but we're nowhere near as bad as last season. Yeah, I guess that's um, yeah, I guess that's a really good point actually. That uh, which I'm, I'm sure the management are looking at that United the last two seasons the way that we play we win an absolute shed load of corners like yeah. you know more than any other team basically Brentford are the only ones that are close to us. That's a big opportunity. Like, you know, if, you, if you're saying, you know, through the season we're going to win, oh, I don't know how many corners, I think we're averaging like eight or nine a game. Can't, can't be bothered to do the maths on that. Let's say it's 500 just for argument's sake. That's 500 opportunities to score a goal. Are there specific, you know, can we spend more time, come up with, you know, different ways of, of getting a man open, of, you know, hitting the right spot, etc. And is that going to chip in with, I mean, we're probably only talking a couple of goals across the whole yeah. season, different to what we're doing at the moment. But, you know, that could be three points, six points. You know, suddenly you go from 10th to 6th or something like that in the league table. But, um, 
yeah. On that note, on that note though, so if we count, so that O'Connell one, especially that should have been a goal. Yeah. Right. You know, he's three yards out. He's got a great contact. I'd say slightly unlucky because you know he was falling away and he's actually got a good header. But that should have been a goal. And I can probably think of one more Egan one where it should have been a goal. Mm. I'm trying to remember the game, but I can certainly picture in, in my head the header. I'm not. It was one against Norwich. Yeah, uh, I know I'm he scored to... against them, but I think he missed one as well. Yeah, I think that might be the one. I can't can't remember the opposition, and I, but I can see the header being about six, seven yards out, and it being a decent chance. Now, overall set piece goals that would put us on eight goals, which would be the joint third most in the league. Yeah, so super fine margins. I, exactly. So I yeah, we could be better, but how you know we're saying could the could could we do more? You know, on routines and movement. Of course, you could. There's always more set-piece work that could be done. It's why people like Stuart exist. It's why Liverpool have got a throwing coach. Mm. It's why Leeds had a set-piece analyst just last year. You know, it, everyone's looking for 1% margins to increase set-pieces because they're such a big part of the game. But we are probably two goals away from being one of the better teams in the league at them, technically. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I looked at um, so I, I looked at the average number of set-pieces needed to score a goal in the Championship this season. It's 51 uh, United are averaging a, averaging a goal every 50.5 set pieces. So yeah, it's... pretty much bang average. That's 14th best. And yeah, it's it's weird, as you say. It's such fine margins. I mean, look at Villa. Villa average a goal every 26 set pieces. Millwall yeah. 27. That kind of makes sense. But Middlesbrough are actually quite rubbish at it. They, they are a goal every 81 set pieces, which is 20th best. Do you know how many goals Swansea City have scored from set pieces so far this season? Yeah, one. Do you know how many set pieces they have had so far this season? Probably not a lot. 303. That's a fair amount. Which, uh, picks, which I think is near the top of the league. It's like the top yeah, six or be. seven. So they've had three, over 300 set pieces and scored one goal. So basically, if you're a Swansea fan and your team gets a corner, it's a good time to uh, nip to the toilet. You're probably not going to miss too much. Yeah, and just add some context there, because I've seen fans saying, do we need bigger players or whatnot? So Bolton, I, I don't have the per set-piece goal thing there. I just looked up basic set-piece goals because mm. uh, we've done a lot of research for this pod, so I've got a lot of other stuff in there. But <laughs> Bolton, have only, Bolton have only scored three goals from set-pieces. Yeah, they that's are 89 set-pieces per goal. Just got the over from yeah, me. That's Bolton, who pretty much their whole game is based on getting the ball into the box for big men to head it. Mm-hmm. That's a Phil Parkinson style. So it's not a big man thing. We've got good attackers of the ball in Egan O'Connell. We're certainly better this year for Egan. We have better delivery with Norwood. We're about there. A bit of luck, a little bit more work on it. Um, as you say, I think it, I think it's more the key kind of things of how do we get those men open. So I'm happy with the delivery. I'm happy with the headers of the ball we have. Can we do those little intricate things where we can give Egan the free header? Yeah. You know, and and, that, and that's the one really. And then when we get the free headers, we have to score them. You yeah. know, that, that that Jack O'Connell chance was like 0.68 of an XG, which yeah, it's nerdy almost to say a that. penalty. Yeah, it's almost as good as a penalty, and, and we missed it. Yeah, I, I'm sorry if that's unlucky, but it's poor finishing, quite frankly. You know, and we need to, we have to take advantage of that. I mean, that was in a game where it wouldn't have mattered, but can you imagine if that was a nil-nil game? Mm. Yeah, you know, and we we have to take advantage. There's not much the management can do about that. That's up to the boys on the pitch to to bag, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think in summary, just to round off this section, I mean, yeah, we're from looking at this, we are we are pretty good at set pieces. I mean, you could point to the amount of goals they scored, which is six, which. Uh, you know, as you said, it's, it's pretty much right around average for the league. So it's not bad; it's average. But yeah, the yeah. amount amount of chances created per sorry amount of yeah chances created per set piece is good. It's very high. 
Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's one of them things where you think over the course of the season, if we continue to win so many set pieces, have such have as good delivery as this, we're probably going to end up with uh, significantly more goals from them than we have at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah. Shall we talk about Rotherham United, which is our next fixture after this international break? Um, yeah. It's really bad. I just said Rotherham United. I was like, is that even their name? Have I made that up? That's <laughs> harsh. I've got no excuse for that. I've got, just to be clear, I've, I have absolutely nothing against Rotherham at all. I mean, it's the least, considering they're basically in our city, it's the least Derby Derby imaginable. I think probably... Um, I, I- Go on, sorry. I go as far as I go as far as saying I've got a soft spot for them just because yeah. I love their manager. Well, yeah, exactly, very much so, um, and they're doing pretty well. I mean, I guess yeah. if you if if you if you're half full, you'd say uh, as a United fan that is, uh, you'd say they've uh, only won one of their last ten. Or if you're half empty, it's uh, it's one loss in eight. So they uh, they draw a hell of a lot of games, but uh, and they are only um, the nineteenth in the league and only two points off relegation. Uh, and I think only yeah only Bolton have scored less goals than them as well. So they're not doing brilliantly, but I think most people, us included, expected them to be right down at the bottom of the league. And admittedly, they're only like they're probably only one weekend of dodgy results from actually being second bottom. But yeah, yeah doing doing a pretty good job, I think. Oh, without a doubt, you are going to get a bit of a Rotherham loving from me because as I, said, I have a lot of time for Paul Warren. He's very Chris Wilder esque in what he does. Um, he, some of the stories about what he does. He was on BBC doing a, the podcast that they have the other week with Football Daily one, and he was just talking about like the, the human side of how he's got the togetherness of the squad, and the, some of the things he was doing seemed simple, but just seems like a really nice bloke, really. Mm. Um, and he's, a, he's he's turned into a bloody good football manager because they have a side that has no right to be anywhere but twenty fourth in this league. Yeah, you know, there's only really Bolton because of their financial issues, and the you know. Their chairman just can't pay anyone. Apparently, you know, there's only really Bolton that even compete. Rotherham have no right to finish anywhere out of that bottom three. So where they are at the minute is, I don't care how many points. I wouldn't care if they were out of the goal dif- relegation zone on goal difference. They're succeeding. Hmm. Um, they are a side that get a lot of penalties. That, that is, uh, if we can be labelled as that from our rivals, then Rotherham can be labelled even more. I don't have the stats in front of me, but just like the Swansea game is a great example. So they beat a a very good and accomplished Swansea side with two mm. penalties. One of them was a bit, you know, you could question, but it, <laughs> they, they certainly, they certainly, they, they ping the box a lot. They hit the box early. Um, the big man up front for the Michael Smith, he stepped up serious levels. So he was a league two league one striker. It's not the guy and that was at uh, Swan, uh, Swindon. Swindon. It? Yeah, it is. Oh God. I do remember yeah. him. Yeah, he, he was. He, you know, he's a big, big unit. But he, the quality he's been showing, some of the goals he's been scoring. Um, you know, uh, listening to the odd football heaven praise or grumble, or whatever. Rotherham fans can't say enough about him. He literally is up top on his own, and he's doing a good job. They've got good wingers, um, Joe Newell, and I think Ryan Williams on the right. They're tricky. They're fast. Mm. Um, they've got a bit of quality about them. Ryan Manning in the middle who scores the penalties. He's got a sweet left foot, so he puts in a good set piece. They, they're all right, and they've got. I think a good centre half in a semi Ajay as well, who's popping up quite well in a lot of the defensive stats. Mm. It's a bit of a man mountain type, you know. He's got a clangor in him, but he can also dominate a game. So it's going to be a tough game. There's no easy games at that stadium this season. Paul Warren will make sure of that because if they're going to stay up, it's on that home form. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, having said that, they're not in too bad a way recently. They drew at Blackburn, drew at Borough, which was the first time they dropped points at home all season. I think. Oh no, it was the first away point for uh, for Rotherham at that point. But yeah. And yeah, beat Swansea, yeah. as you said. All, well, I mean, all I'm... that being said, 
Go on, uh, go on, mate. Go. All that being said, this is a team we should be beating, though, isn't it? I yeah, mean, I, you know, without it, doubt. We've bigged them up there, but, uh, you know, they're 19th. Infogol has them as the 18th best. They don't score many at all. That's why they draw so many. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... I don't know. I, I've seen people saying, oh, this is a tough one to uh, come into off the international break and off the other derby, etc. But I don't know. I, f- I feel like this is one we should win probably quite comfortably. I know I said that before the Wednesday game as well, but this one, <laughs> this one shouldn't really have anywhere near the level of tension and pressure. And, and also, I, I can't imagine that um, uh, Warren will set up his team in, in the way that uh, no. guy did for uh, for Wednesday. But, yeah. No, not, so, not at all. I feel, yeah, feel I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's it feels like blooming ages since we played now. Yeah, and well, of course we're on Sky for what five of the next six. It might even be six of the next five? seven or something like that. It if might, you it might be now. Yeah, because yeah, obviously uh, it's Brentford away Tuesday, I think. In it, that's on Red Button. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no excuse not to watch these games, I suppose. Um, it's it, it does fall into that bracket that I, I kind of touched on before the Wednesday game. Which, yeah, we try and do one game at a time, but this is a, a real testing run of fixtures because mm. of the games that we are. So they're not necessarily against any, you know, load of size in the top six or top eight or whatever. But obviously, Wednesday at home, it's a derby, the whole form book out the window thing. Yes, we're a much better team, but we didn't win. Rotherham away, also a derby. Rotherham, a tough away game. They're actually 13th in the home form table. They're better than Blackburn, and Blackburn hadn't lost in 26. Wow. That's so their championship form is better than Blackburn, it's better than Millwall, it's better than Swansea, it's better than Stoke, it's better than Bristol City. You've got me worried now. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying be worried because their XG does say they, I mean, I have their XG as their 24th in the table. Right. Um, they Pretty much every game they've won this year, the XG says they shouldn't have. Right. And, it, yeah. it, a lot of that, and they hardly score open play goals. It's either set pieces or penalties. They're the mm. lowest open play goal scorers in the league. So they're not going to threaten much and it, I don't think it'll be an easy win. I just, you know, if we win, it might be one nil, two nil, two one. It'll be tight. We just need to, we do, we need to break them down basically, and hopefully that's what we've been working on. Um, but yeah, we should beat Rotherham. Obviously, if we harbour any playoff hopes, we should beat Rotherham. I think we will beat Rotherham. But you know, this is a tight game. Brentford away, so everyone's looking at Brentford since Dean Smith left. Oh, they've, you know, they've fallen away. They've lost everything. XG doesn't say they have it all. Mm. Um, I don't trust XG religiously, but it certainly was right on Bolton and Wednesday going down. I think Brentford are due an upturn in form. Um, They're they're still performing at a top six level, despite what their results say. And that is a difficult game, Brentford away, at any given time. Leeds is Leeds. It's a Yorkshire derby and Leeds are playing well and we're playing well. West Brom, they've just smashed Leeds 4-1, but they can also get beat 3-0. Who knows what West Brom are going to show up, but with Dwight Gale and Rodriguez, it's tough. It, this is a real testing run of games and if we come out of this with points you know up to Christmas we keep saying it but I, I will be comfortable that we're going to be there till May if we come out of this run of games with enough points to keep us in and about top four I think that's that's pretty fair I'm just yeah after that West Brom game which I'm really looking forward to by the way that that should be yeah. a cracker I know we're a good uh, almost a month away from that one but um, yeah looking after that we have Ipswich away Derby at home on Boxing Day, that'll be a good rematch. Blackburn at home, Wigan away, QPR at home, Swansea away, tough game, Norwich away, tough game, and then Bolton at home. And yeah, there's, there's points there, isn't there? It does feel, without being arrogant, and you know, you never know how football is going to go, but there's, there's there's some winnable games in there, definitely. I think the bookmakers would probably agree with that. It's quite, um, it's quite interesting. Oh, just last point on that. On um, we like him for golf stuff. I know I do my own stuff, but we like him for golf stuff, and they've 
they've just tweeted out this morning, I don't know if you've seen it, the kind of next one of six fixtures. Yeah, I did for each championship club based on XG. And ours out of the top six is technically the easiest run. Mm. So despite on paper some hard games away home, you know, XG doesn't really count that in if you're not looking for it. But we technically have an easier run than many other members of the top six. That, that's yeah. what they're predicting. So I think we forget that, don't we? we? Just look at our own fixtures and don't think like, yeah. oh, actually other teams have to play other hard teams as well. So it's unlikely that they're going to win six games in a row or anything like that. Yeah, exactly that. Um, you know, and it, it, this is the championship this season, isn't it? You know, more generic pods, like not the top 20, touch on it all the time. If someone hits, someone hits the top spot, they lose it the next week. Hmm. You know, yeah. it's just it's just the championship. No one is going to run away with this league. It's all going to come down to who's there at Christmas, what happens in January, and who sustains that form to the end of the season. So, mm. yeah, you don't want to look too far ahead because we're just doing a game at a time type thing. But this run of fixtures for me is, is testing the run after that, which you've just gone through. There's points available there. Rotherham's a big game because we need them three points because we haven't actually won in five. So, what at Rotherham? Sorry, we've only won one in five. I meant to say we've only won one okay. in five now. So. We, you know, you don't want that to become six. You don't want that to become another game we don't win because then the pressure starts hyping up when you're playing Brentford, Leeds and West Brom. Yeah. Jeez, is that, is that right? It doesn't feel right. I'm sure it is right, but yeah, it doesn't feel like we've only won one game in five, but yeah, you're right. I'm pretty uh, sure that's right. Two in... Yeah, no, you're right. If you go back to Dar- Derby, lost, Stoke, draw, Wigan, win, Forest, last Wednesday, loss. Yeah. Before that, we were... Before that, we that were rattled off four in a row, so... Yeah. Which is, which is great, you know, and that's fantastic. I'm okay with only winning one in five because that happens in this league sometimes. Mm. Um, it, it's more picking up the points where we're losing games and winning the ones we should. That's the big yeah. thing for us. Definitely. Um, do, do you want a slightly worrying stat for ahead of the Rotherham game? Go on, then. So there's been two international breaks so far this season, not including <laughs> the one we're in at the moment. United, coming out of those international breaks, lost to Bristol City, lost to Derby. 0 for 2 coming out of international breaks. Yeah. However, I, I think you could probably chalk that up as two tough away games. Bristol City were uh, were high up in the league when we played. I think they might be third when we played them. Obviously, Derby were up in the top six as well. Um, so yeah. probably, it probably is just that. I, I think this is probably along the lines of uh, we never win when we were on Sky or we never win when it's a <laughs> half moon on a Tuesday night or something. Yeah, we never we never win when we're on Sky. It's haunting us now. They've got the red button, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah, we're going. Might as well just plan for League One now. Write the season off. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, and it, it is one of them things. These football kind of things that come around, and you think, you know what? That might just have something. Egan's potentially injured. He might be out. Yeah, you know, we've had a couple on international duty. Rotherham probably don't. I'm making an assumption there that might be unfair, but I doubt any of their players are. So they've had a break and they've had two weeks to prepare for us. Mm. It's just you just think, oh. God, here it comes again. But, you know, we should beat Rotherham. We just should. Um, and if we want to be anywhere near the top six, we will be beating Rotherham. It's as simple as that. Yeah, indeed. I think we've done all right with the international break, actually. Norwood was suspended for a, um, an island, wasn't he? So, uh, yeah, yeah. He sp- stayed with us. Uh, Stevens played the other night. Kieran Freeman, actually. He got on, didn't he? Yeah. International debut. Well done, that man. So, Absolutely. Uh, He's got a few more minutes in the legs as well, I suppose. So, yeah, maybe we will see um, see a change at right wing back, but hopefully not. I hope he just uh, goes back to how he was playing the previous few months. But yeah, we'll see. Um, we've waffled on for quite a long time here. Have you got? Uh, what do you want to do about nah. these Q and A's? Run, run could... through them, mate. I've got I've got ten <laughs> ten minutes. Run through them. All right. Okay. Let me uh, just quickly introduce that. So. Um, 
All right, so I know we don't have too much time left, but we did get some good questions on Twitter, and I want to try and hit some of these now. So um, uh, a few people, uh, Tomo and Trey the Blade were a couple of them, asked us about this. <laughs> I don't know what your reaction was when you saw this. But <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, don't you? The, the tweet yeah. from Alan Biggs that uh, United's <laughs> transfer targets for January expected to be Jermaine Defoe and Shane Long. Now, my reaction was, uh, Alan, <laughs> is this a joke? Is this your real account? Who's paying for them? <laughs> well, and also just, uh, I don't know, that that just seems, I don't know. I, I don't see the fit there at all. I, you know, they're both good players, but I don't know. Go on, sorry. To be fair to Big Z, James Shields wrote a thing in the Star this morning on it. I read it mm. about Defoe and Long being mentioned again and that type of striker we want Premier League experience on loan kind of the, the players who aren't playing in the Premier League who are just sat in that squad earning big bucks but may want to play football mm. so right I guess there's two ways to address this firstly address the two players mentioned no we won't get either of them in my opinion um, could I see benefit of Jermaine Defoe of course I think if Jermaine Defoe played championship football for anyone in the top 10 or 12 he would probably score eight to ten goals between January and the end of the season because he's that good of a penalty box striker. But the man must be on at least 30 or 40 a week, even at Bournemouth on a reduced terms. The only thing I could see happening there is he is literally just sitting there amassing money because they are playing so well that he's not getting games. He's down the pecking order behind quite a few, actually, not just behind one. Um, Perhaps because of the whole Brooks thing, we might be able to get a bit of a deal where we cough up half, quarter of his wages just to get him playing. I don't know. Mm. You know, and Bournemouth did a deal just to offload some wage. I really can't see the Shane Long one. Yeah, he he, he is on a big contract at Southampton. I'm and sure he is. He does. They, he, he doesn't play a lot. He's behind again quite a few, but he does play some games. And managers tend to like Shane Long for some reason. Um, he runs a lot. He's got a lot of pace, and he's very good in the air. But his goal record is abysmal. Abs- absolutely abysmal. I feel I, like he had one good season with Southampton, maybe. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm looking now. It's 20 goals in 122 games. It's, one it's in all six. in the Premier League, I guess. But yeah, yeah but one in six. I yeah, we 13 about, goals in 2015-16 and hasn't gone past five since then. Or yeah, the only one of the time. I remember him being good at Reading. He, the thing with Long is he, he brings you so much more because he runs channels. He's got pace. He's got strength. He's for a small guy. He's really good in the air. He's got a great leap. He adds a lot to a side. He would run channels. He would add pace which is mm. something, yes, a lot of fans say we need, and I kind of agree with to a certain extent. But we're on about the fact that we need to have a clinical striker, and we're on about bringing someone in who's probably on 60 grand a week. Maybe we're paying 20 of that, 30 of it, I don't know, mm. that scores one in six. I, I don't see the value in that. For, people are comparing it to the Mitrovic loan. But oh, Mitrovic, no. had a, Mitrovic had a record at Anderlecht. That was well, and also mid- a completely different player, like a real uh, physical absolutely. focal point player. Yeah, for a team that were a passive, creative team, but were lightweight. Yeah. So and that's what he was. Now, we would benefit from a Mitrovic if we had the money, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Unfortunately, there probably isn't one out there. I can see more links coming up again as we get closer to the time with Sam Gallagher, because he's literally not playing games of football. You know, and he is, he is a young, physical presence who can run. Again, not got the goal record, but he's on a cheaper wage. We couldn't quite afford it in the summer, I don't think. But maybe mm. now things are different, because he's literally sat there doing nothing but earning money. You know, and I think more and more you see more players go out on loan following that Callum Wilson, that Harry Kane thing of going out on loan to the, the Football League and trying to get games to get yourself in the Premier League. So 
Yeah. Perhaps that's one that would be a bit more realistic. I, I don't know. Look, I don't know United. I don't know what the money is on offer. I'd be shocked if we signed Jermaine Defoe or Shane Long. I'd also, I guess I'd also be a little bit disappointed in a way that that was how we were choosing to yeah. kind of use our resources. I mean, we have quite an old... Yes. Not, not an old squad, but an old strike force, certainly. You know, they're all in their 30s. And obviously, we're only talking about loans here. But, you know, if, if we're going to be spending that much on someone who's 35, however old Defoe is, I'm hoping he's older than me, hopefully. 36, I think. That's good. I feel better. Um, <laughs> uh, then, yeah, I just think, like, can we use that on, you know, somebody that's going to be our player for, like, the next three or four years? I mean, I'm going to tie this question into one that um, uh, I think it was United Eye on Twitter lobbed at us and then uh, Luke Prest, Phil Ridley and a few others kind of chipped in with some really interesting takes on it as well which was what do we actually need like what is, what is our yeah. is our plan b was was kind of the discussion and you know it sort of stemmed from do we need this this big striker the kind of target man that you can chuck in the well yeah basically say stand on the penalty spot we're going to load the box and uh, you know hopefully hopefully break down a team like Wednesday who admittedly we don't come up against very often I guess I mean, for me, I don't. It'd be great to have another striker, particularly a, a younger one and someone that uh, you know is a proven goal scorer, I guess. But I, I don't see that as like the answer to what we need to unlock a no. team like Wednesday. We need more more Mark Duffy's, basically, don't we? More creative players who can kind of keep creating chances for our strikers who you know finish at a reasonably good rate at the moment. I think Sharps is ridiculously high, even yeah. with uh, even with a couple of misses recently. So. Yeah, I I don't know. What was your your thoughts on that? I mean, neither Defoe or Long fit that profile whatsoever as like your your plan B. I mean, that just seems like more of the same to be honest yeah. with those players. I, I completely agree on Defoe. He's he's a fox in the box striker. Now, if you get Jermaine Defoe, everyone would be excited, me included. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's Billy Sharp, but probably I can't say he's better now because I don't know. Is the honest answer? He's better than Sharp on past record, isn't he? Because of the yeah. level he's played at. Yeah, that's no, what he no is. Question. Like Shane Long will run all day. He's athletic. He's got a lot of pace. Um, you know, he runs channels all day. And as I said, he's got a good leap, but he's not a hold up player. Mm. He can win a ball in the air, but he's not a hold up player, but he'll run channels. We don't. It, it comes down to this whole thing, doesn't it, of, of what style we play and the people think we need a plan B. So I saw someone making some really good points, and I wish I could remember it was. They made some really good points, but the output of their points was so bad. And the <laughs> points were what United need is either A, not a Hansen, but that Hansen type, that, that someone you can throw on, the big physical presence who, when we are just crossing the ball in the box, we've got a focal point and we can play knockdowns too, who Billy can, can come around off, who Fleck and Freeman can buzz off. Or, but they also need to be able to run a bit, you know, with a bit of, bit of physical presence, kind of like Clark did against Wednesday, you know, someone who can come on and be a battering ram, but who's got a bit of pace and power. Now, the output of that is a £30 million striker. <laughs> I can say, just... yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> is Pele still playing? Yeah, Roberto Firmino at Liverpool then. Is that all I'm asking for? I don't, Romelu Lukaku, it, that's what that striker is. Yeah. It doesn't exist. So do I think there's players who we could get as strikers who could do a job for us? Yes. Mm. Sam Gallagher would, would do us a job. He's a big physical presence. He did okay in a very poor Birmingham side last year. He can run as well. I won't just throw names aimlessly out there because we've not been linked with them. I think there's some players in League One at the minute who would be of interest to us. Um. Carl and Grant at Charlton is a physical, fast striker. Hmm. Don't know. Josh Madger is a very fast striker who can score. So 
you've got some options there in, in League One where they may not have been last year because Jack Marriott was always going to go for millions and millions. Mm. Um, what do we need for Plan B? I, I, you know where I sit on this because me and you talk about it all the time. Apart from we need Luke Freeman, we need another Duffy mm-hmm. um, because Duffy gets tired. Duffy gets man-marked. Duffy isn't, he isn't that dynamic in the mm. fact that he could skip by a player, but he doesn't quite have the pace or acceleration to drive on. We need someone who can take a player on, who can drive into that space, break lines, basically. If we put balls in the six-yard box, you know, to our strikers' feet, they tend to score, yeah. especially sharp. So we need another creative influence. Um, I want another forward, too. I think Wilder wants both in January. What, what's available? I just don't know. We're not in that world, so we don't know. But I would say more, more a physical presence than pace for me because it, it looks increasingly likely on Clark he's going to have limited minutes. Mm. And the minutes that he does have, he's not having time to impact a game. So I don't think our style necessarily suits pace. I would like more pace, but I don't think we're going to be able to buy that in January because people aren't selling that. Yeah. I, I, do you know what I mean? I if you're going to buy pace like a Josh Madger from League One or like a Carlin Grant, you're probably paying two or three million for an un, unknown product. Yeah. No, I, know what Wilder, I know what Wilder's doing. We're in January. If we're in the top six, we've got six months to get to the Premier League. Gamble. Yeah. You know, he's, he's thinking, does Jermaine Defoe or Shane Long get me 10 goals? I don't care about the wages. The board can sort that. Do they get me goals? Do they buy me a, a plan B to score a, an equaliser away at Norwich if we need one? I, I get the plan, but no, they're not the targets. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to see you're as uh, thrifty as me when it comes to uh, <laughs> United's money. <laughs> United's metaphorical money. Yeah. Um, all right, you've got time to hit one more. Do you want to pick one? Yeah, so I've got them up in front of me. So yeah, let's do it. I, re- I really like, um, we'll do the subs one another time. So Joseph Clift, we will answer your subs question another time because I want to yeah, dig let, into let's that. Let's do that on the next search. one. Yeah. Um, I quite like Kieran Gray's one. Yeah. Which is, guys, I'd love to hear an analytical slant on what areas we could find the most value in in-house improvement. So not sign-ins, um, tweaks to, to what's available right now. So mm. we all talk about plan B. And everyone's plan B is to buy a fast or big striker or Luke Freeman. What outside of that can we do? And it, he, he mentions Norwood playing further forward, which I completely understand the logic on. I, I wouldn't do. Um, but I do understand that logic because Norwood's someone with quality who can shoot as well. So perhaps that works. So for that, I think the thing that I would say is I would probably, in games where it doesn't work, the 3-5-2, the 3-4-2-1 or whatever you want to play, I would say that we need to do a bit more tactical switches for me. Mm. Um, we, we worked on a diamond earlier in the season when Norwood first came in. Um, and it, it was right. really good. It was really good in certain games, you know. It, again, it boils down to we've only got Duffy in the 10 role. But what it did do is it allowed the two midfielders to actually go and play a bit more offensively rather than just building play up. Mm. So Fleck could play further forward. He could get involved in the attack a bit more. The wingbacks will play as they do anyway. So that doesn't really change anything. So I think for me... That, a very quick answer on that is a bit more tactical variety in games where we're struggling to break down opposition. So can we go four through three? Can we put Johnson on the left? Can we put McGoldrick on the right and Sharp or Clark down the middle? Mm. You know, can can we do a diamond? Just I want to see a bit more variation for games where we're not quite breaking down the opposition. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't have too much to add to this that we haven't already covered, to be honest. So things like. Yeah. You know, can we make more of set pieces because we win so many of them? We do create chances, but can we create better chances than we are at the moment? Uh, the other one is crossing. I mean, yeah, I mentioned um, a couple of articles I read this week, but 
you know, the sort of clear measurable differences in in where we're crossing the ball from and where we're aiming it to. You know, is there a, are there improvements we can make there? So, you know, crossing from deep to the far post is like a terrible idea. Whereas actually, yeah, hitting it into the near post from a uh, a position closer to the byline. This all sounds very obvious, but it's kind of nice yeah. to see it backed up by data as well. So, yeah, for for a team that win a load of set pieces, win a lo- uh, cross the ball a ton, those feel like areas that we could probably improve yeah. on because we're currently coming in at sort of around average. And I and I agree, and that's where probably people are getting this idea of a bit of a physical presence up top, you know, yeah, a bit more yeah. than aerial presence because we don't always put aerial crosses in. To be fair, they're quite at midsection and low because that's what yes. our strikers are, but. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the Twitter videos going round and the brilliant scenes, you know, from League One where we knocked it into Hampton in games where we were drawing or losing and sharps on the end of it and absolute limbs in the away end because we bag in the last minute and mm. Ebank Lendell as well was very good at that. Mm. I get it, I do, I, I completely get it, and I, I don't disagree that that would be an option if we had it. I don't know who's out there who can do that, but yeah, you're right. Taking advantage of crossing in set pieces would be one. The one thing I, I will say it's not is shooting more. Yeah. So. 47% of our shots against Wednesday came from outside the box. That Which is the is highest percentage. Unusual. Yeah, it's the highest percentage we've had all season. Right. Um, we normally shoot more from the 18-yard box than anywhere else. Six-yard box close to that. We never, ever shoot more from outside the box. Mm-hmm. And we did. And it did not work. It just did not work. Flex shot was a great shot. The keeper made a great save. Other than that, a lot of them were blocked, charged down, just, you know... We we not I don't I don't get it I don't know why but we are not very good at shooting from outside the box and it could be just be personnel it could be they're getting blocked it could be unlucky I don't know but that is not the answer to shoot more. It's just it'd, be, not. it'd be interesting to know how that like how that compares to the rest of the league I suppose I mean yes yeah, so we had nineteen shots of which five were on target and what did you say I think it was I mean I think it was I think it was nine outside the box wasn't it I think ten inside nine outside. Yeah, and like, yeah. Is it is it that we're bad at it, or is it that that is a kind of standard success accurate accuracy rate for long range shots? I no, it's, I don't know the answer. It, I did a little look into this um, just because I'm like finding things to write on while it's international breaks, and and hmm. it, we are we aren't great basically at shooting from outside the box. It is fact. I, I don't know if it's personal. You can't say we our players can't shoot outside the box because they're tactically told not to. You can see that. Yeah. So often when Fleck lines up a shot from 22 yards out, what he's actually doing is trying to create an angle for a pass. Mm. You know, the same with Norwood. That, that's what we do. And it's how we got the penalty. We actually, line, you know, the ball was rolling across the 18-yard box. It, it, went right. in, yeah, it went into Norwood, who flicked it around the corner. It went around the corner again, and Duffy was there and open. So that, that's how we play. But Derby are actually real outliers at this. They shoot outside of the box more than they shoot inside it. No way. And, uh, yeah, most of their XG is coming from outside the box shots. Mason Mount, Harry Wilson, um, Tom Lawrence shooting outside the box. They're, and they're the best team in the top eight. Here. And now, is that because they have three of the best players at shooting from long range in Mount, Wilson, and Lawrence? Yeah. And so they're just playing to that particular strength. Like those guys yeah. are good at just finding space and hitting the target from long range. If you have Frank, I mean, Mason Mount is not Frank Lampard. I don't want to make this assumption, this stupid Frank Lampard derby thing. But if you have Frank Lampard in your team and he wants to shoot from outside the box, you let him shoot from outside the box, right? Yeah. You know, Mason Mount has an extremely good technique and he can hit a ball. Most of his are from free kicks rather than open play, admittedly. But they shoot a lot from outside the box because they have players who can do so. Hmm. Yeah, and they're cutting in off wings and they're shooting from the half spaces, whereas we tend to pass and cross from half spaces. So it just comes to personnel, but it's not the answer for us to do that because we don't have the personnel to do it. 
I'm not saying no. don't ever shoot. I'm just saying we should always have the pass as the first option. And if the space is there to shoot, do take it. Norwood and Flex should probably be better at shooting from outside the box than they are. Yeah, I guess are, I guess I, this is where... Uh... We, I can't remember who, whose question this was. We were circling back to it, but um, about uh, oh no, it was Kieran Gray as well. Yeah, it's part of the same question about uh, having Norwood further forward, and yeah, I guess that's part of it, isn't it? That he he does play deep. Is is pretty rare. He's in a sort of shooting opportunity from open play. I know he. I think he had a, a couple from uh, in the Wednesday game, but that was largely due to the fact they just played so deep and he could just yeah waltz up to about twenty five yards out and have a dig, I suppose. But yeah, I guess that's one one case for that but then you lose the immense value he has to his playing sort of around the center circle watch just watch that video i mean i i'm pushing myself here and i'm promoting myself but i, I wrote the article recently on championship midfielders mm. on, the, on the blog site norwood is the best so if you combine a bunch of metrics what, what i consider progressive passing so accurate forward passes passes to the final third if you combine that the sum of that norwood is the best midfielder in the division barry bannon yeah. is only slightly behind him so if you look at that video on Twitter, that pass to Freeman, the one that did the rounds, mm-hmm. if we play Norwood further forward, we're losing that. Yeah. And we're losing the amount of passes to the final third. It's the one thing he gave us that Lee Evans didn't quite. Yeah. The, but well, the forward passes to the final third, we don't want to lose that because that's been the main factor of our season. Yeah, we lose the through ball to Clark for the goal against uh, Wigan, Wigan for Sharp. Yeah. We lose the through ball to Stevens for Sharp in that game as well. Yeah, definitely. It's just, uh, you know, that is... He is just the master of of that particular ability, and yeah, you may you may well reduce his effectiveness there if you're asking him to get forward more and take more shots, etc. And actually, you know, is is detrimental to the team as a whole, even if he ends up with two or three more goals for himself yeah. over the season. It's, um, it's, a fair, it's a fair suggestion. I can see why because he's a good mm. ball striker. You know, he, he takes three kicks well, he hits the ball well. I can see the point. Um, so it's, we're not dismissing you, Kieran, whatsoever. It's more what what does that do to the team and because we've been asked the question of what, what's the most value well for me that's not the most value the most value would be could we get certain variants in the squad a bit more so can Marvin Johnson maybe could Marvin Johnson come in and play 10 yeah. there's a different thing for you know, could he be the one who's in the hole that we give the ball to and rather than having a passing midfielder we have a dribbling midfielder in there mm. that, I'm not saying that's right I'm not saying that's a thing to do I'm just saying that could be a thing it looks like Ben Woodburn's going to go back now in January, so we're, we're, that's gone. I think that ship has sailed. Is that right? Um, I've, I've, I've missed that. I don't know if it's a fact. Again, Alan Biggs tweeted it out. I do oh, get the impression. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, Shield has wrote a little bit on it. I, I, I don't know. You don't know, dear, because you don't know what the stories are, but I do get the impression that's what's going to happen. Wow. I mean, Disastrous Sheffield United loan spell, according to Wales Online. I mean, yeah. Yeah, how bad. Steady on. Yeah, it's not done nothing wrong. It's just not done nothing right. I mean, it's just I, I get it. I do. I get that they, I get they can play for Liverpool. So he can go back and play for Liverpool under twenty threes when they have friendlies. If he's not playing for us, I get that. But if he was actually involved in the squad, he wouldn't do it, would he? You know, if if he was part of Sheffield United, he wouldn't go home to play football. So the fact he did that a few months ago sealed it for me. He's going to go back. Um, Interesting. I think so. That's just my opinion. There's no fact to substantiate that, but I just think he'll go back. It'll free up some space and wages. The fee that we needed to pay to get Woodburn and all the clauses that came with it, Wilder clearly said in the summer, they were accounted for in that budget. Yeah, and that really count- gets freed up then as well. Yeah, he was counted as a transfer fee, so whatever wages were contributing towards Woodburn, get off the bill. The clause has already been paid, apparently. I don't know the finances, but that's what going on what Wilder said. He's pretty honest. You know, all that was accounted for. That's why he hasn't played him because he's not felt no strain to do so. And if we're not going to use Woodburn, we might as well send him back. 
Yeah, because I saw... Uh... Go on, go sorry. On, no, I was going to say, I saw a Berkshire Blade on Twitter, I think it was, saying, uh, any chance we can get Dominic Solanke on loan? <laughs> <laughs> I think now, now, just just to clarify, I'm pretty sure that was tongue in cheek. Uh, I like that. <laughs> I think our yeah. bridges might be burnt with Jorgen Klopp on this one. To be honest uh, with you, I'm not. I'm not sure that's going to be. <laughs> hopefully not. Um, all right, mate. That was uh, we covered a lot there. So yeah, Joseph Clift and London Roadblade. I'm going to keep track of your questions, and hopefully we can discuss them on the next podcast. Because uh, I think actually they need a little more research than I was able to. Uh, able yeah. to do for this one so uh yeah it will not be forgotten but uh yeah that was good mate a very you know I, I think there you go we have a we have a two-week break and we come back with probably the nerdiest podcast ever. we've done so far i think ever yeah. ever even i found that too nerdy <laughs> like if people if people are listening to this and, and falling asleep or sheer boredom stick with it because it gets better but even me and ben have got to admit that was nerdy it was. Uh, the, I'm going to leave in the part where we tried to work out uh, penalty percentages rather than, uh, <laughs> rather than cutting that out. Um, all right, mate. So people can check your work on eflanalytics.blog, uh, on uptheblades.com as well. Do you know, I, I have not had time to write anything for this for ages. I was itching to do something the other week, but I have been one busy person and so have you. So, But I, I think... Win, lose, or draw. I'm coming back with an article this weekend. That's, that's yeah. What I'm, uh, that's what I'm giving myself. I was um, gonna gonna say do that, and probably what we'll do because we miss them on the pod sometimes, especially if we don't have time to. We, we'll probably make sure we include in any article of our version of player ratings in there as well. Yeah, we, do, we have we've been missing those because we've hit the pods up later than the game, so it's kind of out of our minds. But we'll we'll make sure we do articles on that, so people who like reading that and the kind of stats we put behind it, we'll we'll make sure we put something in writing in there. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and yeah, go and check out your, your work on StatsBomb as well, where you were talking about the potential breakout stars of the championship. So this is uh, this is players who uh, who you think could be ready to take the next step, right? As in, the, you know, players who uh, are yet to kind of show that they are very good players, but they're about to. Is that right? It, it kind of, yeah, it's players who last year would have were either under the radar or not in the championship at all, but who so far this year on the numbers look like they are going to be stars of the future. So not just this this year, that they've got potential to continue that for numerous years. Um, there's obvious names in there. Unfortunately, no United players because my remit was under 24. Mm-hmm. Um, just we don't really have anyone. You know, Dean Henderson is good, but he's not statistically the best goalkeeper in the league, so I couldn't really include him. Other yeah. than that, there is, you know, there isn't really anyone there. Jack O'Connell could have done defenders, but um, yeah, it's it's decent. But there's players in there like Jaden Bogle at Derby. When we came up against Stifle, he was very good at right back. Mm. Um, Mason Mount in there, Harvey Barnes, who is pretty much the data's love child at the minute mm. in, in the championship. He's he's just outrageously performing. It, it's yeah, it was cool. It was pretty cool. Um, people who don't know what stats bomb are, if you like me and Ben, you will like stats bomb. Basically, they are the apart from Opta, they are now the kings of data, and they love the EFL as well. They've got this weird mm. thing where you know a bunch of very clever American people who write really well about football seem to love the EFL and the variance and chaos it throws up. So it's uh, it's they're definitely worth a follow. They tweet out good stuff, and they yeah they'll be doing more and more, and hopefully I'll do more for them. The uh, the CEO, if I've got his name is is role right, used to be uh, used to be at Brentford, right? It's Ted. So I never know if it's pronounced Knutson or Knutson. 
So uh, the confusingly, English... called themselves Mixed Nuts on Twitter, which leads yeah. us to think it's nuts. <laughs> but you, I mean, presumably you, you know the guy a bit better than I do. So can you Actually, go, go ahead? I've got to be honest. I only have very, very small interactions with Ted on Twitter. Uh, my interactions with a good guy called Mike Goodman, who came from oh, American, yeah. American sports Twitter to kind of football sports. Um, but don't United fans out there, we've got this impression Americans. Listen, Americans are some of the cleverest people out there. We haven't had a chance to touch on it, but this whole story about United using Harvard students mm. that came out of the Sheffield Star, this is where this kind of thing stems from. American economics guys and data analytics guys are some of the best in the world, and, and they're in American sports in ice hockey and basketball, and they're bringing those concepts to English football. And if you think that can't be done, well, XG comes from ice hockey. Yeah. So uh, XG is not a football concept. It has been bought from ice hockey over the last 10 years. So, you know, so if you like that type of stat and the, the context behind it, there's there's new stuff coming out all the time. I think mm. it's, Ted, it's Ted Knutson, he, he says, but yeah, he, he takes the piss out of himself. He's a good, funny person, Ted. But um, yeah, Ted, Ted was at Brentford. So when they started their analytics movement, he was actually at Michelin as well, which is also owned by Matthew Benham, the Brentford owner. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so all the analytics movement actually started at Michelin. So right. if you watched Michelin about five years ago when they played Man United in the Europa League, mm-hmm. yep. they, they beat them in Denmark and then I think they drew or lost at Old Trafford. Yeah, I think it was like um, Rash- it was at Rashford's debut, I think, when it? he scored a couple of goals. Absolutely, yeah. Else, yeah. No, I think that's right. They got knocked out in the end, but obviously for the size of the clubs, it was massive yeah. that they even beat Man U in Denmark. But literally, Michelin had a load of... Denmark work permit issues were a little bit better in the UK, so they could sign African players like um, some Nigerian players and some some other players from different areas of Africa. But they used analytics to get them, basically. Um, and that's where they tried that. Matthew Benham was part of that, the Brentford owner. He then bought that across to Brentford. Uh, and Ted was one of the ones who came across to Brentford and, and kind of really got their analytics movement flowing and whatnot, which we all know how that turned out. It's gone pretty well for a, for a, size of, for a club of the size of Brentford to be where they are. And the players that they have is, is astonishing. Yeah, so, definitely. And uh, and he is now the CEO of Statsbomb. Uh, yeah, definitely one of the most, uh, I guess, prestigious analytics sports analytics companies out there. So um, yeah, oh, great to see, great to see you on there. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, they got more stuff coming. But yeah, it was really cool about the uh, push for time. And I'm trying to finish up, but really cool to see that article about the Harvard thing with Sheffield United. So I, I have no idea about that. I don't know what that's going to source, but. I can guarantee to you it will be more than standard events data stuff that me and Ben talk about. They'll be going deep, deep into data science and hopefully trying to find the next big 1% that makes a difference. So Yeah, definitely. Let's. We, why don't we talk about that in more detail next time, actually, because I had some, yeah. uh, some thoughts on that. But it's it's good to see. Uh, yeah, I, I'd fail to see how that can be anything but a good thing, even if it's a, a marginal gain kind of thing. But yeah, we can, we can chat about that in more detail next week, I guess, because... Yeah, it's, it's something that's going to have a, a long-term effect rather than an immediate impact. It's not going to inform our uh, transfer shortlist for the next month, is it? No. <laughs> Very no. unlikely. Um, all right, mate. Thanks uh, Thanks very much. Uh, it, you know, Just when you thought we couldn't get any more nerdy, we ended up talking about Danish football and uh, signing players from Africa. So uh, that was that was a good place to round it off, I think. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much. As always, people check you out on Twitter at Blades Analytic they're not doing so already um but yeah that's uh return to real football on saturday lunchtime against rotherham and uh yeah hopefully back to winning ways as well i think yeah that, yeah I, yeah we will we'll win we'll be fine and people do do push the part ben puts in a bloody load of work for doing the editing for this because i'm just a, an absolute noob when it comes to all that so ben does all the work it's his pod he's brilliant at it listen retweet like 
and keep doing it because next year me and Ben fancy a piss up at the Football Sports Award for the best podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, I need to I need to get on that next year. I need to yeah. uh, leverage our not inconsiderable social media reach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, let's, uh, you know, it's not that considerable. Let's just see what free nights out we can get on behalf of you know the FSF <laughs> Federation. You know, and we'll, we'll share we'll share the love around. But yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks for that. All right, nice one, Paul. Have a have a good rest of the day. I will speak to you later. See you, mate. Cheers, bye-bye.